Hey, my name is Chris Brennan, and you're listening to the Astrology Podcast. Today, I'm going to be talking with astrologer Helena Woods, and we're going to be talking about astrocartography, which is a form of relocational astrology, which allows you to use astrology to find the best place to live. So hey, Helen, Helena, thanks for joining me. Yeah, so I'm such a magical opportunity to speak with you, Chris. Um, yeah, I really like your work. You've been um, really killing it with like a YouTube channel over the past while where you really focus on specializing on astrocartography and relocational astrology. And I really love your work. So I thought it would be a great opportunity to collaborate and put together an episode on this topic together. Yeah. Oh, this is so exciting. I'm so passionate about this. And this work is so valuable and such an important tool. And I'm excited to share this with your community. Cool. All right. So to give people the highlights of what we're going to be talking about in this, let's say, two-hour episode really quickly, um, did I describe it correctly? We're talking about astrocartography, which is a form of relocational astrology. And the basic premise is that um, there's different places on Earth that are going to accent your chart, your birth chart in different ways. Yeah. Jim Lewis created this MAPS system and basically it's this idea of we're existing everywhere all at once on the, in the, on the map uh, in the world. And by moving, you connect and bring to light an aspect of consciousness that's in your birth chart. Um, and so by traveling or moving or going to the different places, we're really connecting with the same essence of us, but in a new way. We're exploring it in a new way. That's brilliant. I love that. So there's this idea that there's some parts of our chart that aren't as prominent in our birth chart itself, but depending on where you move at different parts in the world, you can actually um, change your chart and change the birth location to whatever that new city is in the world. And it will turn the chart and turn the houses and put different planets on the angles of the chart, which is the ascendant and midheaven and descendant and IC. Yeah. Yeah. It's, and it's all based on angles. The entire map that he created was based on, you know, which planets were on which angle when the sun was rising, where was that happening in the world at birth versus where was the sun setting at a different part in the world. And so instead of looking at charts, which we look at relocated charts as well, but it's based on a visual map showing where the planets were angular in the different parts of the world. Okay. Awesome. So um, th just to give people like a visual preview. So here's just the chart from astro.com, which you can find for free by going to their astro click travel section. And it will just show you these planet lines that run through different cities or different parts of the world. And it's really cool because you can use it to study how your chart changes and shifts in different parts of the world or how it emphasizes different parts of the chart in different ways. Yeah. It's such an amazing tool. Um, and it, it really can shift, you know, lives and different exploring different aspects of the life and, you know, connecting with different people in parts of the world or having opportunities with different, you know, career. There's so many things you can activate just by traveling to places. Cool. All right. Well, so let me let's maybe introduce you to my audience. This is your first time on the podcast and talk a little bit about your background because you're so passionate about this topic that you've actually been like traveling around the world to different um, astrocartography lines to see how different lines work for you in different places, right? Yeah, it's amazing. So I moved to France uh, five years ago, and this was, I've always loved astrology, but it was in France when I moved from the US to France that I learned about astrocartography. And I saw and experienced in my own life how 
the um, experience can be so different in how you activate certain themes in your life that you maybe wouldn't have if you had, you know, stayed in the same place. And so I started exploring this and traveling a lot. And now I'm on a mission to explore all of my lines um, and timing it with transits and progressions um, for the next few years to see, you know, what is coming, you know, what is bringing to light the external, but also the internal. Um, and yeah, so I'm living this now. I'm currently in Tallinn, Estonia at the moment, exactly on my Jupiter descendant line and I'm on a cool writing latitude at the moment so I've been really utilizing the energy well here and um, I live on a great line in France I found my home in France on a beautiful home line and yeah so I'm excited to see where you know my travels take me and what uh, comes to light with all of these places brilliant that sounds like so much fun and and yeah from a very early stage in my studies. I, I studied astrology for a few years as well. And then I started moving around first to go to school and then to um, study at a translation project. And I ended up jumping from like line, major line to major line in my chart, as well as eventually once I started um, lecturing and stuff, I started traveling different parts of the world. And I always found that my astrocartography lines to be very descriptive of the types of experiences I would have in those locations, but also the types of like people that I would meet sometimes, or at least interactions that I would have with like major relationships or business things and other things like that. So it's always been a really compelling technique to me. And I think that's most people's experience that this actually works surprisingly well. Like you, not that you wouldn't think that it would at first, but it's actually striking once you try it out in your own chart and see some of those major lines, like how compelling it is. Oh yeah. I mean, you can see that for people who find their spouse or their best friends or their clients, a lot of their clients, people who have businesses, they'll come from a certain descendant line or a certain area. Um, and so relationships are a big thing, connecting with people, um, also exploring the sense of self. Yeah. There's so many ways, um, that you can use this. For sure. For sure. All right. Well, let's talk a little bit first at the very beginning, which you already touched on about the history and some of the basic premise um, so it seems like at some point, like I was rereading one of the primary textbooks for this, really the, the main astrologer who originated the technique in the 1970s was an astrologer named Jim Lewis. Um, and he wrote a book titled the psychology of astrocartography. And it seems like that's really one of the main books on this topic, right? Yeah. Yeah. It's the kind of like a cookbook style of what does it mean when you go to certain lines on certain angles, whether it relocates to a certain house. Um, it's an amazing book that has, it's, it's kind of like a go-to book for anyone who wants to dive into this is like this, it's like a manual, um, to tell you what each thing means. Okay. Brilliant. And, um, it seems like he, from what I was reading the book, he developed the technique originally in the 1970s, and he was actually drawing out these lines by hand, like on charts um, back then manually. And it was something that people could like write in for to get their astrocartography chart. And it slowly sort of took off as a technique until the late 20th century, like the 1990s and, and 2000s. Um, I know it was integrated into astro.com where everybody could use it for free. And it seemed like um, everyone became very familiar with it from that point forward. Yeah. Yeah. And, and it's interesting because um, Jim Lewis, he created the maps in the seventies, but he was really inspired by um, Donald Bradley in the 1950s. Um, Donald Bradley was making charts on political and mundane astrology. Um, and so he, you know, Jim Lewis met him and, you know, was really inspired. And then, 
you know, he experiences in his own life of having, you know, going to a Mars line and having certain themes keep coming up for him. And he was like, there's something to this. And so in the seventies, he, you know, created the maps. Okay. Brilliant. Yeah. And that's something I was curious about a little bit of the history where it seemed like uh, in the foreword to the book that Ken Irving wrote for Jim Lewis's book, that they said that there were some earlier like traces of this that Jim Lewis may not have been like fully aware of like Bradley's mm -hmm. work on it. It wasn't necessarily clear, but that really um, Jim Lewis was the one who pioneered it and sort of made it a popularized technique or he popularized the technique for sure, as well as yeah. innovated with some of the application of it to natal charts and to using it in that way so that people could study their personal lines all over the world. Yeah, it's brilliant. Brilliant. Cool. Cool. All right. And um, Jim Lewis, uh, um, unfortunately, sadly passed away like prematurely in the 1990s. Mm -hmm. um, and it sounds like that book was actually published. He died in 1995. Um, but that book was then published by um, Kenneth Irving, by his friend Kenneth Irving, as well as um, Aaron Sullivan, who was editing a series of books for Penguin Arcana at the time, which is like a big publisher when they're still publishing like really major astrology works. Um, and they published that book in 1997. So just a couple of years after he passed away. Wow. Yeah. Yeah. Wow. Yeah. So um, that's really important and notable and that book's still in print. So people should check that out. And Definitely. then um, other than that, in terms of the conceptual premise of this, I think the first starting point is just the idea that you can relocate a birth chart and what relocating a birth chart, you know, looks like and what that means. It's basically, so everybody has their normal birth chart where you have those three pieces of data, where you have the date, you have the time and you have the place you were born. And that creates the sort of static birth chart that astrologers have been using for over 2000 years now. Um, but what astrologers learned at some point, I'm not exactly clear, but certainly over the past century, was that if you change the location um, to whatever your current location is, that there's something about that relocated chart, that relocated birth chart, that actually does speak to your experience of that location. Yeah. And it's interesting because it's the idea that you are, your chart is what it is. But when you relocate to a new place, it's what it is here. So in this location, there's a shift. So for example, your Mars, your natal Mars will always be your natal Mars, but it's kind of, it's exploring in a different area of life when you relocate the chart to a new area. So it moves in housewise and then the angles move as well. And so, um, yeah, that's the relocated chart, which you can see the changes just by moving. Okay. Well, let's um show what that looks like. Um, I'll, I'll use my chart and then you're, you're comfortable sharing your chart as well, right? Oh, totally. Yeah. Okay, cool. So just to give people an example of what this looks like. So here is my basic birth chart. This is cast using whole sign houses, but we're going to pay attention to the degrees of the angles still, even though it's within a whole sign context. So my ascendant is at 17 degrees of Aquarius and my midheaven is at five degrees of Sagittarius. And that naturally means like in my birth location, there's certain planets that are really angular in my chart um, according to the degrees, like the moon is almost right on the ascendant natally mm -hmm. and um, Uranus is almost right on the midheaven. It's just like five or six degrees off of the midheaven. And those are the most mm -hmm. 
sort of um, active planets in my chart in some sense, in a dynamic sense, based on the yeah. proximity to the degrees of the angles. Yeah, yeah. And you'll see that on your map. So when you pull up your astro map, like on astro.com, you'll see that Uranus MC line. You'll see that moon ascendant, the moon rising line um, there on the map as well, because those planets are on angles. Um, so it's it's a really cool visual representation of what's happening on your map. So here's what you're talking about. So this is for those watching the video version and you know, people can listen to the audio, but this is probably going to be a visually intensive episode. So we'll do our best to describe what we're looking at. But for the most part, mm -hmm. this is probably one of those ones people will want to watch on YouTube. But yeah, so here is the astrocartography map and it shows my birth location there in Denver, I think is the the red mark basically. Mm -hmm. um, and then, yeah, you see the ascendant moon line, which is where the ascendant exactly would meet the moon. Um, where, where basically the city or the locations in the United States or in the world where the moon would come to the exact degree of the ascendant. And that's what that's representing. Yeah. Yeah. The moon okay. was rising exactly at that point. Got it. Okay. And that's because it was like four or five degrees off from being exact in my actual birth chart itself. Yeah. And so and this is based on degrees. So you know, Jim Lewis used eight degree orbs, seven degree orbs. So we're looking at 700 miles of a distance. So the closer you are to a degree on an angle with a planet, the closer that line would be. And the more active and potent that energy would be, the closer you are to it. Okay. So there's a like a proximity effect and it gets more intense the closer you get to the exact line. Oh, yeah. And that's a big thing I see. You know, a lot of people think, I don't have a line here. So that means there's no energy here. There's This is an, an important place for me in the world because there's not a line going exactly through this area. But in actuality, you just have to measure it. Um, you still have those lines influencing you um, within hundreds of miles. Um, but the closer you are, the more intense it is. And it's, it's like turning up the power all the way up on a planet. Um, but you're still within orb, even if you don't have that line directly, even within 100 miles, 200 miles, you're still within orb. Got it. Okay. So going back to this map, and then we also see my Uranus midheaven line, um, because we saw that Uranus was very close to my midheaven in my birth chart. It was like five or six degrees off. But yeah. um, if you were to move east of Denver, basically, um, that's where you would hit the exact Uranus midheaven line. It runs through basically like Kansas, which is the state like just adjacent to Colorado. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So there's the Uranus MC. And then one last thing I want to show also is, so there's other lines, of course, which when you start getting further away from your birth location, which start bringing planets that were not natally very close to angles, in the birth chart, it brings them right to the degrees of the angles. Um, and that's what the rest of the lines are basically indicated in the chart. So for example, here's the... Um, one of my lines that I moved to when I first left home was I moved to Seattle um, to go to school, to go to Kepler College, basically to study astrology. And my Saturn Midheaven line runs right through Seattle. Wow. That's, so, wow. Yeah. And how did you feel when you were there at school? Was it very you know, studious, I'm guessing, with Saturn? Um, yeah, well, ironically, what's funny about that was it was actually very like isolating, sort of lonely year in this like... Yeah rainy city because it was during the winter in Seattle. So it's like very overcast. 
Um, I didn't have a lot of social connections out there because it was like an online school. Um, and I went there to be have access to the library. So it was a very Saturn type year in terms of being isolated from like my family or, or friends I grew up with for the first time moving to a different city for the first time. Uh, and I was also like very broke and like scraping by. And sometimes I would like have to choose between like getting dinner that night or buying groceries versus like there was this really good Ibn Ezra book that I wanted to buy one time that was like $20 at the local astrology bookstore. And I like got the book instead of the food. So that was, there was like a negative Saturn experience. But then interestingly, um, that was when I also famously at Kepler College in the second year, I took um, 202 where Demetra George and Dennis Harness were teaching an introduction to Hellenistic and Vedic astrology at the same time. And I famously protested because I didn't want to take I went there to study like modern astrology and study like astrocartography and like outer planets and other stuff like that. Yeah. And I didn't want to study ancient astrology because I thought it was outdated and, and not useful. Um, but then they basically said, you know, tough, like you can't get out of it, take the course. So I did and I ended up loving it and then famously became super fascinated with ancient astrology at that point. And that became my thing, um, which I found on my Saturn MC line. Um, oh. So you know, that's pretty, that's pretty good. It's pretty oh, good. And Saturn's so enduring. It's like when I see clients who, you know, live on a Saturn MC, it's like the work they do there can have such longevity. You know, it's so enduring work. It stands the test of time. It's something that they, you know, they do 20 years from now, or if they make investments or start a business on a Saturn MC, it's like that thing that they started, they'll still be doing it 30 years from now. And there's still the rewards that come from the time element of putting in the time and the dedication to something that is so cool. Saturn MC lines can be very um, successful for people, but there is that isolation, the hard work, you know, there's a lot of that coldness of Saturn too. Yeah, for sure. Um, so in terms of the relocated charts, so what we're doing there is we're basically using my same like date and time, but we're just setting the location for Seattle, right? Yeah. And so you're changing the location and, and you can do that, you know, in software like Astro Gold, any software, even astro.com. And when you adjust the location, the time will shift too. So Seattle, you know, the, that time zone will shift. Um, so the time will shift and the location will shift. And when you do that, um, there should be, um, you know, a lot of changes with the, 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 um, angles and then the, the houses can shift as well. So do you know where that setting is? So to do a relocated chart, is there like a specific setting or do you just like recast the chart for that location? Um, there in astro.com, you can go down to like chart type, and then there's a relocated chart feature, a relocated chart button that in the drop down menu. Um, in Astro Gold, there is a relocation option as well. Um, but all all softwares will have like a relocation subsidiary chart um, okay. that you can use it, and it'll automatically adjust all the time and everything. So I just went ahead and did that. So there's the natal chart again using whole mm -hmm. sign houses just to show people, and then. Um, here is the relocated chart for Seattle, and we can just see that it, it shifts everything over. And all of a yeah. sudden, um, this Saturn placement um, in my chart, which is at 17 Scorpio, is suddenly on the midheaven in that chart, mm -hmm. um, just so much more prominent. And that's so important because in the natal chart itself, um, Saturn is the ruler of my ascendant, it, and it's in the 10th whole sign house. Mm -hmm. um, the place of like career and reputation and overall life direction. 
So it was almost as if it was like finding that place that would unlock that placement in my chart where like the potential was there. Um, but it's almost like by going to that place, that was where I would discover the potential of that placement in my birth chart. Exactly. It's amazing. It's unlocking potential, unlocking aspects of consciousness, aspecting or unlocking parts of self, uh, the, the natal promise. It's amazing. It's so cool. Yeah. Yeah. The natal promise. I love that phrase. That was like a phrase I picked up, I think originally from like Indian astrologers in the two, two, mid two thousands, but it's such a good phrase. Like the idea that the birth chart promises th certain things, but um, there's certain timing techniques or other techniques, like potentially this one, like locational astrology, mm -hmm. that will tell you when that natal promise that was made in the birth chart will actually be delivered. Yeah. And there's a great quote that Jim Lewis, there's a clip of it on YouTube somewhere. It's only like a minute long, but he says something like, you know, astrology, it's fairly fatalistic in a way in the sense that, you know, there's a lot of things that have to do with timing and like life things being timed. But the thing about astrocartography and locational astrology is that you can choose to be in a new location. You can choose to feel a different way. And that's a big thing about these lines is they really affect our quality of life and how we feel. So regardless of if you have a hard transit or you're going through a hard time in life, when something is timed, you can put yourself in a place where there's more resilience or there's an ability to get through it with ease rather than being in a harder place like a Saturn line when you have your Saturn return, for instance. I mean, there's you know ways that you can you know, affect, you know, really um, help your life in some way, um, which that's the cool thing that uh, Jim Lewis, he he was really passionate about that. Yeah, I like, um, you know, as astrologers, we're so used to dealing with time. Um, and time is like our major currency, it's our major tool that we have to work with. Um, but what's interesting about this is it's bringing a completely different component that we don't often get to work with, which is space and like location and that is something you know with time time is tricky because time is not as malleable you know there's some parts of time like the past and the present that you can't always like control or, or do a lot about you can't change um, even some things about the future at least in terms of like you know that a certain transit is going to be happening on this day 20 years from now and like the, that's going to happen like one way or another that transit because it's like the planets are on that course and they can't really be moved at least from an astronomical standpoint um, but space is really interesting because that is something that we have a little bit more control over in terms of where we are at certain points of time and how that might change or if not change at least accentuate the birth chart differently exactly yeah Okay. I love so, that. And that's, that's actually an interesting point about accentuation. That was one of the things that seems like astrocartography does is it seems like it accentuates different parts of the chart in different ways, but it seems like it doesn't really override or completely change the basic birth chart itself, right? Yeah. The birth chart is always fixed, but we can bring in other elements within the birth chart to prominence. So other pieces of our natal promise come to, um, they're more direct, they're more kind of in your face, they come up to light in a way. Um, and there's that that freedom of choice in choosing which planetary archetype, which theme in the birth chart do we want to bring more out, uh, bring more out. Okay, that makes sense. 
Um, well, that's good to know just in terms of setting expectations. Um, all right. So, I mean, I have a couple other parts of how my other lines have worked out, but I don't know whether to like go into that to wrap that up in terms of my story or whether to talk about like other examples or talk about your experiences so far. Oh yeah. I'd love to share my story because it's so specific and literal. Um, yeah. Okay. Um, yeah. So I was born on a, um, a Leo moon MC lines right on a moon MC line. And, um, what's your birth data? Oh, uh, my birth information. Oh yeah. Um, Just for it, the record. Oh yeah. May 17th, 1994, 6 32 PM Poway, California. Okay. So you have 13 Scorpio rising. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Cool. All right. So, yeah. So 13 Scorpio rising, your Jupiter's at like seven Scorpio near the ascendant, just for the audio listeners, the sun is at 26 Taurus and the moon is at 21 Leo. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so I was born smack dab on that moon MC line, um, right through my town where I was born in the San Diego area. Um, and so that Leo moon, you know, I, I grew up an actress. I grew up an entertainer, an entertainer that I had this deep desire, this emotional like need to be on stage, to be an actress, to be seen. Um, and you could see, you know, Leo moon on the MC, you know, we're connecting the moon story of needs, desires, emotional nourishment, what you need to receive. Um, and it's on the MC, which is, um, a high point of visibility, the desire to be public. Um, and then the Leo element flavoring that. Um, and then the Jupiter on the ascendant, um, um, I mean, the main story is really that moon MC because it was going straight through my town. So when we're seeing a line going right through a place, that energy is magnified um, as kind of like the main thing. But then we also have the Jupiter ascendant um, coming through, which is just, um, you know, Jupiter and Scorpio on the ascendant, you know, the desire to seek truth, to seek, um, you know, knowledge and something deeper, the spiritual quest that I was on as a teenager. So that was a big theme. When I moved to New York, I moved to New York City. Oh yeah, there's the map. Um, so here's so your astrocartography map, and there's the the Moon MC line, which runs right through part of the like southern part of California. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And so that Moon MC was big. The Jupiter ascendant. I'm getting hints of that, even though the Jupiter ascendant, the Jupiter rising line is going through San Jose. I'm still getting that in. San Diego. Um, but when I was 18, I packed my bags and I moved to New York City to try acting and to do the whole New York City stage thing. I lived there for five years and it was actually a year or two in that I realized I didn't want to do acting anymore. And a big story of my life when I was in New York was relationships and dating and my social life and my friendships. I ended up meeting my husband there in New York City. And it's so interesting because he has his Mercury ascendant line going right through that area. So my Mercury descendants there, descendant being others, um, you know, what comes from others, projections from others, um, reflections of others. You know, there's a theme of um, other people, the descendant coming into um, focus and Mercury. Um, and he is a Mercury. He's got Mercury on the ascendant in his chart and it's going through there. Um, so that was a big part of my story was New York was meeting my husband and connections with people. I built a client relationship business, client, uh, client business. Um, so that was a big part of my story there. I also had a that's, book published um, that's really by a, a publisher so, there. So your husband has Mer Mercury on the ascendant? Mm-hmm. That's really good striking point because that's something I see come up a lot as well, which is that sometimes when you move to a line, 
you'll meet people that actually have that planet prominent in their chart in some way. Yeah. Yeah. So that's that's like a common thing. Yeah. Yeah. I see that all the time with client charts is one person will have that descendant line going through an area and then the other person will have the same planet, but on the ascendant. Right. That's wild. That's really magical. Like that's when it gets (laughs) like really sort of trippy part of astrology. I think at that point, when you start seeing that stuff happen. Um, So, and then you said you also got a book published there. Yeah, in Florida, um, that Mercury descendant is going straight through Florida. And at that point in the Miami area, I had just a publisher reach out and publish a book um, of mine called Slow Living. And it was, yeah, right there. Um, Mercury on the descendant. You know, I think of Mercury, uh, writing, communication, ideas, thoughts, and on the descendant, which um, in the relocated to the seventh house in the relocated chart, which publishers or collaborations. Um, So that was a big thing that was activated there. Wow, that's amazing. Yeah. Um. So okay. So that was your Mercury. So you did like one coast. You know. You know. You started on the West Coast, then you moved to the East Coast, and you got some of the Mercury action going on. Let me. Let's do your relocated chart just so we can, so people can visualize, um, what that looks like. So I'm just mm-hmm. going to go to, um, Solar Fire, and I'm going to go to Locality, and then click Relocated Chart, and a. I'll just change it to New York. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Solar Fire is great for um the astro maps, so the solar maps feature is so cool. Yeah, and I'm using like astro.com so far just to show people what that looks like since that's the re- free re- resource that everyone starts with. But eventually, oh, yeah. that's a big thing is that you really recommend using software and and um astro and Solar Fires like got a pretty big component for locational astrology in it. Totally, especially when we're looking at timing. So when's the right time to go to a place? Got it. Okay. So here's your relocated chart. Um, yeah. So it changes your ascendant in New York to like 14 degrees of Sagittarius. So that's radically different than your Scorpio ascendant. And we see like Mercury, like right there at 15 degrees of Gemini, like right on your descendant. Mm-hmm. Um, I mean, even I know the exact Venus line is a ways off like into the Atlantic but it's like I can't help but notice also like how it moves Venus as well and Venus starts getting in proximity to that descendant as well yeah Venus oh and that oh my gosh Venus stories with relationships are such a key thing um so many cool examples like uh when people when each the other person in the relationship has that Venus line where that person was born like John Lennon and Yoko Ono, they each were born uh, with the other person's Venus line. So cool. So cool to see Venus placements uh, in relationship with wow. uh, astrocartography. For sure. Okay. Um, all right. So, and then got the book deal. So what what was your next thing? Or do you have other lines after that that have been notable? Yeah. Well, the book deal happened a lot later, just this year, but um, I moved to France. So Strasbourg, France, I moved to Strasbourg. um, And that was where life shifted again in a huge way. And I've lived in this area for five years uh, in France. And so the relocated charts the same for the last five years. And so, I mean, this chart is, is becoming more my life than my natal chart, which is bizarre. Um, like the transits too have been on the relocated chart. have just manifested in such a weird way, but there's that Venus. I see it's going right through Strasbourg, France. Um, and that was a place where I really learned to slow down my life and 
connect with the culture, the traditions of France, French culture. Um, I learned a lot about like enjoying the simple joys of my life and slowing down and finding beauty in the ordinary and that Venusian oh my gosh, I felt so at home and it's it's my home in the world. And that Venus relocates to the fourth house of the land and the home. But I also have Saturn on the ascendant there. And there is that isolation of being away from friends and family. It's definitely not a social place for me in the world. Um, but Saturn has actually been a benefit for me. The, the thinking of time, the thinking of you know getting my life in order, routines, rituals, all of those things that Saturn ascendant has really helped me mature in my life that I don't think I otherwise would have experienced as being so close to that Saturn line. Yeah, that's brilliant. And I noticed um, in your birth chart itself that you have Saturn at uh, 11 degrees of Pisces. So you're actually in your Saturn return right now and you're living yeah. like on your Saturn ascendant line or very close to it. Yeah. Mm -hmm. That's pretty cool. Yeah. Probably don't want to be here exactly when that Saturn transit's going right over my location on the map. So I might go see somewhere a little bit more enjoyable, but yeah. Sure. Yeah. Um, well, that's pretty cool. Okay. So, so Venus, I see, and like pretty good, like living situation. Where is Strasbourg located in France? Like roughly? Yeah. It's right below Luxembourg, um, right okay. on the border of Germany. Got it. Um, so there's Luxembourg so it's up in like northeastern France so it really is like right on your yeah um, ice Venus icy line yeah and it's it's what? home it's my favorite place in the world um I've was never that... felt a sense of home before and it's yeah right there in the icy was that deliberate like or did you just end up there on your icy line accidentally yeah I ended up there because my husband got a job teaching English um there in Strasbourg and so it took us there and then I learned about astrocartography actually and and got more deeply into astrology since moving here and it's interesting because the ruler of myself and the ruler of my career is all connected to the ninth house when we relocate that chart so a lot of things got activated just by moving here okay let me relocate that just to see i gotta see this okay there it is sorry i was not expecting okay there we go so yeah. you this is your relocated chart does this look right yep mm -hmm. that's right Okay, so there's Venus right there at 26 degrees of Gemini, mm -hmm. and there's the IC that's right there, and so then it's also opposing the midheaven, which is pretty good, mm -hmm. um, and we see Saturn is um, above the ascendant quite a bit, because you're not exactly on the Saturn line, but your new ascendant is at 22 Pisces, and your Saturn is at 11 Pisces. Yeah, and the thing about this chart is, you know, that ninth house Scorpio with Jupiter there in the ninth, in my birth chart, that is a part of my career story, but I've never activated it until I moved here because the ruler of the ascendant and the ruler of the midheaven all point back to that ninth house where now Jupiter is now placed. And so that's where I'm going back to that idea of like, you can look at your birth chart and see what are the stories that are happening within your chart. And then by moving, you can then get activity into that area of life. Sure. Even areas that weren't otherwise like active previously. Exactly. Yeah. Okay. That's really cool. Um, all right. Have you had any other line stories in your travels or, or, oh, yeah. or are those your main ones so far? 
I mean, I'm, I'm on my Jupiter descendant now, and that's been an incredible, just so many contacts, people I've connected with you, connecting with you on the podcast, so many other people reaching out, like a lot of help and benevolence and just um, help from other people has really come my way since coming here when Jupiter relocates to the seventh house. But my Mars ascendant is my hardest place I've ever been to. I went on my honeymoon to Egypt and my Mars ascendant is going right through Egypt. And it was a really hard place for me. And that's when we kind of go into more detail of like, what is your natal Mars? What is your natal Saturn? Because you're getting more of that story. For instance, my Mars is squaring Uranus. My Mars square Uranus being on that Mars line, it was a very eruptive, unhappy, combative, argumentative place for me. Not an easy place for me. And that Mars ascendant energy was really active there. And I think... um because I noticed you have a day chart just natally, and that probably makes a big difference in terms of the sect of the chart and like which planets, which benefic is like the best one for you, like in a day chart, that would be Jupiter or in a night chart, that would be Venus. And also which malefic, uh, where for day chart people like yourself, your Mars placement is going to be the more challenging one, whereas for night chart people, Saturn is more challenging natally, and that sometimes does transfer over to the astrocartography lines as well. Absolutely. I love my Saturn ascendant line and I hate my Mars ascendant line. <laughs> yeah. So wild. This, I am actually the same way. So I, so in your chart, you have Mars at 25 um, Aries and your Uranus is at 26 Capricorn and Neptune's at 23 Capricorn. So that's the square you were talking about becomes yeah. much more prominent and becomes kind of unlocked in that location. Yep. Mm-hmm. Okay. So let me relocate that just to sh show people visually we won't do this for the entire episode but just to yeah. <laughs> you know get people, people oriented yeah um all right and it was just it was a place of you know if I saw something that was not really nice on the street I would get mad or you know things like that like just this this simmering anger that would come out um by my environment what I saw in my environment would provoke that Mars um, and so that was a big, big part of the story there. Um, and it was, it was really challenging for me. Yeah. I think that's really interesting. And, um, I had similar experiences with like a Mars line where I've had like a conflict with others on my Mars descendant lines have been with people weirdly like in or from the location of that Mars line, which is really weird sort of yeah. thinking about that, but just like running into to conflict with certain people or having certain types of relationships that are more combative um, on your Mars line, basically. Yeah. Oh, yeah. Happens a lot. Conflict. Breakups can happen on Mars lines. Um, you know, Mars loves to sever. Um, there's that theme that comes up a lot for people. Um, another thing is, you know, talking about like history and you know, what happens in the world. Um, I've, you know, Jim Lewis has talked about that in the book about how presidents, U.S. presidents, um, there's a lot of war themes when they have Mars lines in different parts of the world. So, you know, Truman, the Mars line in Korea, you know, there's lots of different presidents that have Mars lines and there've been themes that we, that are, you know, these patterns, these correlations with pre U.S. presidents and their Mars lines in the world. So the Truman one was that his Mars line ran through um, Korea and then yeah. after World War II, the Korean War took place, basically. 
Yeah, the Mars IC line. And he also has Pluto crossing Saturn, I believe on the Ascendant, right in Hiroshima in the J- J- Japan, where the um the you know the the bomb was dropped. Um and Pluto is another thing. Jim Lewis talks about Pluto and Pluto lines for presidents can be deaths, um, assassination attempts, like Ford had an assassination attempt. JFK was assassinated in Dallas on his Pluto line. And Truman has his Pluto line um, right over there in Hiroshima where the, the bomb was dropped. Wow. Okay. That is pretty crazy. So I'm just, um, I pulled up Truman's chart on astro.com. And I didn't glance at the time, but here's his lines, different things like that. So there's, yeah, like you're saying, like the ascendant and the Pluto lines we can see mm-hmm. running right through the lower parts of Japan. Yeah. Yeah. And Pluto, some astrologers, you know, say it's like a higher octave of Mars, um, you know, Pluto ruling death uh, and Mars being conflict or war. Um, and that's right on the IC, you know, the land. Um, and that's going right, uh, right, right close to um, Korea there. So, and that brings up another point that maybe we'll get into in a little bit, but, but that he has two lines running through this area so that Mars comes to the IC and Pluto comes to the ascendant. So Mm -hmm. that's actually something as well when either lines cross or when um, you get one planet coming to one angle and another planet simultaneously coming to another angle that has a, that's a special category. Oh yeah. Cause that creates a Paran or Perrin, and it creates a latitude line. And that latitude, when those lines cross, they create another line at a latitude. And that tells another story, but that's yeah. Secondary influence to the maps, but very important. Okay. Nice. Um, all right. Well, yeah, that's something I want to get into. Um, have you had any other lines that were notable besides that? Just yourself? Um, let's see. Uh, I mean, I traveled, I mean, Paran wise, I have a lot of Paran stories. Um, local space, I have a lot of local space stories. That's a separate thing though. But yeah, those were the main ones. Those are the main like stories I have for uh, my map. Okay, cool. And for mine, I just to round out my personal story, I moved first place I moved to was Seattle to go to school and that was my MC line and then after that when I got into Hellenistic astrology I ended up moving to Cumberland Maryland to live at Project Hindsight for two years uh, and what was weird about that is that that ran uh, Cumberland falls exactly on my Neptune midheaven line um, wow. so that ended up being pretty wild just because it's a very Neptunian sort of situation for that two-year period with um, different people that had Neptune. Everybody there had Neptune very prominent in their chart, like Schmidt had Neptune uh, square Mercury and other people had Neptune prominent. And there were like very cool, like sort of like mystical things going on. But then there was also sometimes weird like Neptunian stuff going on yeah. of in terms of like um, – not good communication or not clear communication or or deadlines and things like that. And it was definitely like an intense sort of Neptune transit during that time that I then like came out of eventually after two years and left and went elsewhere to proceed, pursue my own research in Hellenistic astrology and do it outside of, of that. Um, but it was interesting having that experience of going from like a Saturn midheaven line um, all the way to a Neptune midheaven line and just like the, the contrast so different. I know like 
when you were on that Neptune line, did you feel a sense of like fogginess or the the cloudiness or like a sense of dissolving boundaries, anything like that? And just like your day-to-day life mindset, things like that? Yeah. I have this funny anecdote I've told a few times in the podcast before, but I just remember picking up my friend, Nick Digginbest from the airport one time and we were driving back to Cumberland and I was explaining to him, I was like, yeah, I don't know what this this Neptune transits are about right now because Neptune was also transiting over my ascendant at the time. And he burst out laughing because like we were driving like in a a fog storm and I could like, we could barely see and we're driving back into Cumberland and it was just a perfect um, metaphor for that because there were definitely some very good things, but there's also some kind of like culty type things at the same time. and. It was only sometimes once you come out the other side of Neptune transits that you sort of see more clearly, um, you know, the things that were good or the things that were a little bit illusory about what was going on. And I think that was part of it for me as well. Oh, that is so cool. Wow. It's so literal. (laughs) Yeah, it's very literal. So that's why I've always been a big fan of astrocartography lines, just because I've had those personal experiences that were very visceral at very distinctive points in my life where... Um, my memory of those places actually matches archetypally like what those lines are supposed to sim- to symbolize. Yeah. So wow. um, yeah, I think both of us have good, really good personal examples then. So that's pretty yeah. good. And I'm glad we did that. Um, yeah. Where should we move for he- from here? Are there any other like foundational things we haven't set up or, or do you want to jump into other concepts or specific example charts? Yeah, I'd love to talk about Kim Kardashian's chart, um, but I do want to discuss Paran's a little bit because that's such a huge make it or break it kind of thing when we're talking about place. Um, And you can't really see them on astro.com. They're invisible. You have to click around or click the little show details on the upper right-hand corner on astro.com, and that'll show you the latitude crossings, which are Paran's. And latitude crossings are latitude lines. They're basically lines that go across the globe at a latitude, at exactly that point of intersection when two angular lines cross. Um, And they have a radius of about 70 miles. So 70 miles north and 70 miles south. But that's when we're getting a combination of two planets. When they when those two lines cross, they create a, a parent. And it, then we're getting that that story of those two planets at that exact point of latitude. Where's the button you were talking about on astro.com? Yeah. So when you go to astro.com on the on the maps feature, um, if you scroll down a little bit, you'll see and you click on a actually click on a point on the map somewhere. Um, just click some random point. And then if you scroll up a little bit, there's like a show details oh, right there. there a little okay. yeah, it's kind of hidden, um, which is why I do like some other softwares because you can see it visibly on like solar fire. But on astro.com, you can pull them up, but it's it'll be right there. And so you can see, you know, Mars and Chiron we're crossing at a certain part in the world. And so that line is then going through that area at a latitude. So you're feeling not only those planetary lines, but you're also getting, depending on where you are um, on a latitude, you're getting Mars and Chiron too. Okay. Um, This is is Truman's chart again. Yeah. Yeah. And um, I don't, you know, the thing with Parans is they really affect how we feel. So, um, it's a bit easier with like personal antidotes or clients. Cause you can ask them like, you know, what was, how are you feeling here emotionally? Um, but, right. uh, certain parents are really hard. Like 
Saturn moon, Mars, Uranus, Mars, Pluto, you know, certain parents at a latitude can be difficult. So even if you're on a great line, even if you've got a great Venus line, that one parent can offset how you're feeling somewhere. And did you say you had a parent story again or because or was one of the cities that we yeah. talked about for you, was that a paren? Yeah. Um, one of them is um, um, in New York. I had a Venus Chiron parent going through New York. Um, do you use Chiron um, by chance? Uh, yes, I do very reluctantly. I'm very annoyed that it works, but I yeah. have to like very reluctantly admit that Chiron <laughs> does work and it does signify exactly what it's supposed to, which is often not yeah. pleasant. But um, unfortunately, it can be so loud sometimes when that happens that you you can't help but but acknowledge it. Oh, yeah. And like healing and disappointment, rejection, all of those themes. When I was in New York, I had a Venus Chiron um, going through New York City. And it was a lot of rejection. It was a lot of heartbreak there. It was a sadder time relationally. Um, but I'll give an example, another example, because there's a, definitely a better one um, in Strasbourg. In Strasbourg, um, if you go to the map, yeah. So going back to Strasbourg on that Venus IC line, um, in Strasbourg, exactly, I have a Sun Uranus uh, parent, and I have Sun trine Uranus in my chart. And so, you know, starts from the chart, um, and it's showing on the map. Um, and so that Sun Uranus story is going right through Strasbourg, um, exactly. And with parents, show, you want to. Mm -hmm. I'll show you a relocated chart um, because it can be visualized there essentially, right? Yeah. Um, yeah. But the the parent um, is a latitude line. And so that goes straight across the map right in Strasbourg. Okay. Um, and it's a, it was a place of discovering my authenticity, discovering who I am, discovering, you know, themes around rebellion and, and being true to self. The sun Uranus story came out at that latitude, whereas going to more other places, like I lived on a sun Saturn parent, very restrictive, very isolating, but very focused on work. So even though I'm close to the the same line, same relocated charts, the experience was different being at different latitudes. Okay. Got it. And so sometimes, so this wasn't necessarily the case here, but sometimes a paren is like um, one planet rising and another culminating or one planet culminating in another setting and different exactly. things like that. Mm -hmm. Okay. Yeah. So, so you're looking at, so there's certain places just where certain planets are going to hit angles at the same time. And that's going to be really like hyper unique to that specific location in the world. Yeah. And that energy where that crossing is, it's the most powerful, but then that latitude continues around the globe, the story of that, that combination of planets. Um, and so just moving, that's the amazing thing about this work is like, you don't have to move across the country or across the globe to change how you feel. Just moving 30 miles South, an hour North can drastically, dramatically affect how you're feeling. Um, and so parents have that 70 mile radius North and South of those lines. Okay, got it. Um, all right. So in terms of examples, do you want to jump into any example charts here? Oh, yeah. Let's talk about Kim Kardashian. She has a really interesting chart. Okay, awesome. Um, so, <laughs> so here is her timed birth chart just on its own. 
So she has Sagittarius rising, 13 Sag rising, Neptune's near the ascendant at 20 Sag. Her midheaven natally is at 28 Virgo, and Jupiter is like right directly on it in a day chart. Um, and Venus is on the other side about nine degrees off at 19 Virgo. Wow. Yeah. And that's going to that's gonna pull up on the map in LA. She's going to have that Jupiter and that moon come up because it's so right on the ankle. So it's very powerful for her. Give me just a second. Is there anything else while I'm pulling this up about her natal chart that's like kind of striking? I always, I've, I've always used her as a good example of like the 11th house because she has 11th house placements. And originally she was like a friend of Paris Hilton. And that was oh, yeah. how she like kind of parlayed that into a larger career. Well, um, I mean, the ruler of her, I believe it's the ruler of her fourth is in her 10th. So there's the connection with family being part of the career. And she's got that moon I see going right through LA, the family, um, and then the Jupiter MC, that good luck with career. And that, you know, fourth house is connected to the 10th house of career. Um, Jupiter MC can be very, you know, very successful very lucky places for people. Um, and so she's, and moon Jupiter, you know, I think about moon Jupiter. I mean, it's optimistic, it's hopeful. It's that, you know, indulgence. It's, it's a really lovely, um, combination of energies and they're right there. Um, so that was really interesting. I mean, she's obviously had a lot of success involving her family. Another yeah. really and, cool and example her, with her. And her mother specifically as well. And just like the, the role her mom has played in almost like sort of managing the family and everything. Yeah, totally. Uh, really cool though about Paris. Um, I don't know if you remember when she was robbed in Paris um, and she's got some striking lines going through that area um, for Paris for her. Um, so first off, yeah. So here it is. So here's the astrocartography chart for Europe for her. Yeah, this is really interesting. I it was I believe it was Paris where she was robbed um, in her hotel room. Mm -hmm. um, but that Uranus descendant is going right through Paris. Uranus yeah. bringing erratic, you know, out of nowhere things happening involving others or external events coming out to light that Uranus um, being very, um, you know, sudden out of nowhere. She also has Chiron on the ascendant here. So I think of like the body, the self, the woundedness, this, uh, you know, I think of safety things, but then what's also really interesting is Mars and Pluto are crossing over near Frankfurt. And at that point of crossing is where that pairing of Mars, Pluto, uh, Mars, Pluto pairing is forming there which would be a bit, I think it would be within orb of Paris as well. Yeah. So it's like, she's got a lot of, you know, Mars, Pluto is, you know, violence or uh, destruction, you know, um, and that energy, that latitude would be very close to Paris as well. Yeah. Like Mars, Pluto conjunct descendant. That's like a great um, metaphor or like archetype for like an armed robbery where literally people are like compelling you to, do something you don't want to do and they're snatching they're taking something from you you're having your possessions like severed under compulsion which is a very pluto thing yeah totally and then that uranus going right through paris too like you know um the volatility of that as well so it's like this whole area doesn't um, look easy for her at all and i thought that was such an interesting literal example of what happened to her that that being a story for her there 
Yeah, let me relocate her chart just to see that visually because I just want to see, because if we relocate it, I'm sure we'll see how the Mars-Pluto is actually very close to that. Yeah. Um, um, for some reason, this isn't coming up well. Let me hear, like, does mm -hmm. this look right? Relocated yeah. for Paris, France. Okay. Yep. Mm -hmm. That looks okay, good. Okay. So, yeah. So, there's your, the Uranus descendant right on the yeah. descendant. Yeah. Got it. Okay. Um, yeah. It's right there. So, it's very exact because that Uranus is right on the descendant at that angle. So, that's showing up on the map. Um, Chiron's on her ascendant. Um, yeah, so that's pretty striking. So it's just like yeah. sometimes difficult experiences you have in different parts of the world. And that doesn't mean, I mean, that it's always like across the board negative experiences or that you can't go to certain parts of the world. I don't think necessarily. It just means sometimes the archetype of that planet will be more prominent. And if that's a challenging part of your chart, then sometimes that can lend itself to sometimes challenging experiences. Yeah, especially with timing, you know, that's the other component is when you've got a hard transit or like it's a hard time in your chart and then you go to a hard line on top of that or a difficult area, it's just bringing that more, you know. Mm. Okay. That makes sense. Okay, so that's a good example for her. Did you have anything else for um Kim Kardashian's chart? Um that was it for Kim Kardashian. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um there were some, wasn't there one? Didn't you say like Hillary Clinton had a good one? Yeah, Hillary Clinton, she has her Jupiter descendant going right through where she married um, Bill. Uh, wow. Jupiter descendant, yeah. I see that so often with clients is um, descendant lines. Jupiter descendant, big for marriage, big for ceremonies involving others. Um, Jupiter descendant lines. But she's got, uh, Hillary Clinton has a Jupiter descendant going right through where she got married. Um yeah. Um, let me pull that up. So here's what that looks like on astro.com. Um, and yeah, we just see that Jupiter line, Jupiter descendant line, which is pink on astro.com, mm -hmm. just like running through this whole part of the country. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Really interesting. So, was she, were they married in, was it in Arkansas? Yeah, I believe it was. I was just looking up to see where it was that she got married. Um. Yeah, in their living room in Arkansas. Yeah. Nice. Yeah, we just see it running like right through Arkansas. Mm-hmm. That's nice. a common thing I see a lot for people's that descendant line, specifically Jupiter descendant. Okay. That's super cool. And then so that's obviously like romantically really important for her, but even in terms of like her career and stuff and just like, you know, the the work they did together politically. Um first with him in the White House, and then eventually her pursuing her career, um, you know, after he was president, uh, that's really striking. Yeah. Yeah, definitely. Cool. All right. Um, what are some other good examples? Um, well, um, Olivia Rodrigo, uh, she has a, a moon on her MC going right through um, LA. Uh, she also has an interesting Venus Chiron Perrin there, which is you know, dealing with heartbreak, um, relationship wounds. Uh, that's a big part of her story, being known for that. The, the the heart, the emotions really being seen by the public in that light in LA. Here we go. This is her chart. And she was mm. born 
I'm not sure what her what was her location again. Oh, she was born in Los Angeles. Yeah, I think it was Murrieta, California. Yeah. Got it. Okay, there it is. Mm -hmm. And what were the lines we're talking about again? Yeah, well, she's on the the Moon MC. Uh, I believe she's a Libra Moon, and then she has a Venus Chiron Perrin that's just right within orb of LA. Um, mm -hmm. I believe if you go a little, I think it's a little bit north of LA. So if you click around. And then add that show details, you'll be able to see it uh, pop up. The thing about astro.com is you can't measure the distance. Like there's no measurement tool. And a measurement tool is so important for getting the precision of the distance. Mm -hmm. um, but yeah, she does have that Venus Chiron within orb. I think it's like 40 miles off of LA. There it is. It says so crossing Venus Chiron is what it comes up as. Then you can mm -hmm. click click it and it has a little delineation. Yep. Mm -hmm. Okay. It says this crossing confronts you with profound questions about partnerships and love. Um, for those not familiar with her, like how does that match her again? Yeah, well, she's really known in the public for just speaking with such vo or singing and her lyrics, her writing, her career, her persona is all about heartbreak and being emotional and vulnerable um, in terms of relationships. Um, she's a lot of her love songs are about heartbreak and getting rejected or um, you know um, problems with that and she's created this like mass like following of people who love that of what she does and so that vulnerability of leading with the heart openly in the public eye and then also the wounds that come from love themes it's a huge part of her career and her music mm, okay that's really cool so i'm just looking at our list and some of the other examples that we meant to go through today um are there any that are good demonstrations of themes that we haven't talked about yet um well, Donald Trump was a good example of the Mars ascendant line, the Mars line in D.C. He's got that going right through Washington, D.C., um, but we've already talked about the Mars lines. Um, trying to think of I mean, some other people that are really interesting. Oh, um, Zelda Fitzgerald. What was Trump's um, thing is just that he has his Mars descendant line goes through Washington, D.C.? I think it was her. Yeah, his Mars ascendant. Mars oh, is rising in D.C. area. Got it. So it brings that Mars, which is already super close to the Ascendant, like right to the degree of the Ascendant. Yep. Okay. Mm -hmm. That's interesting. Yeah. Um, and he also has a Mars lunar node in DC as well. So it's so Martian um, in that area for him. Okay. Nice. Um, and then what was the other one you mentioned? Zelda Fitzgerald? Yeah, Zelda Fitzgerald, she was the, she's, you know, an author, um, and she was the wife of F. Scott Fitzgerald, who was the famous author who wrote Great Gatsby, and um, um, what else did he write? Uh, yeah, a bunch of books, amazing books, but um, she was his wife, and um, when she moved to Paris, she activated a lot of career themes for her there. Um, she was always kind of known as as his wife and kind of behind the scenes. She was the original flapper in the jazz age in the 1920s. Um, but moving to Paris was really big for her because she became an author. She started working professionally as a writer. And she also, you know, became really obsessed with becoming a ballet dancer when she was 27. That solar energy of the sun, you know, our willpower, our vitality, our like our goals, our aspirations, but also like our mission statement on the MC at the highest point of visibility. I mean, this was a place where she got really into her career and she became obsessed with, you know, being public and being a career minded person. It was in Paris. Um, and uh, I thought that was really interesting. Wow, that's brilliant. Yeah. And we see 
Paris is right there and we see that Sun MC line. So that's a really good um, illustration also. There's been a few of those so far, but just to give you an illustration that um, the lines, while sometimes like, like in my instance or some of your instances, if there's a city that's like right on a line that can be peak intensity, um, even like being in the vicinity of a line means that that planet is coming into prominence in your chart and you're still going to feel that line, even if it's not, even if the city's not like directly on it. Exactly. Yeah. That looks about a medium strength, about 150 miles is an intense strength. And then 150 to about 300 is like a medium orb. And then, um, once we get to like 350, we start, it starts weakening a lot. Got it. Okay. So that's good to know that there's sort of like orbs of, of intensity for these lines, just like aspect lines. Yeah. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Cool. A lot of people will say, like I see online, some people will be like, oh, but I don't want to move to the middle of the ocean because I've got a line, you know, in the middle of the Atlantic. And it's like, oh no, you'll still feel it in Portugal. It's, it's just, you know, a medium strength. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Yeah. All right. Was there anything else with her chart or was that good for her? Um, yeah, that was good for her. Okay. Um, cool. And you had one for either Walt Disney or F. Scott Fitzgerald himself? Yeah, F. Scott Fitzgerald. Um, yeah, he he was in New York. He has an interesting story. Um, his Jupiter and Pluto are crossing in, in New York, which Jupiter, Pluto is can be success. Um, and he has that energy there. He also has a Neptune line close by. Um, obviously a big part of, you know, F. Scott Fitzgerald's life was addiction and alcoholism and, um, abuse of alcohol. And a lot of that was a big part of um, the story for him in New York. And he lived in Connecticut as well. Um, but there's that Jupiter and that Pluto crossing over in Syracuse. So there's a parent up there, but, um, that Pluto and Jupiter story, um, is within orb in New York and, um, you know, uh, Jupiter on the descendant, I think of publishers, I think of publishing houses, I think of people who come into the life of the native to help them, um, Jupiter becoming an active, um, externalized manifestation unconsciously to the person. And so that Jupiter, you know, publishing traditionally, um, and then crossing Pluto, you know, power, influence, charisma, wealth, Jupiter, Pluto can be a wealth symbol. And so that he was very wealthy uh, living in New York City, very extravagant, over the top lifestyle. But that Neptune, um, so close by in uh, Cape Cod, um, there is that story of Neptune on the icy with Mars, that kind of muddled, stuck in the mud um, energy that's also, you know, in the orb there uh, living in New York. Yeah. So that Mars Neptune line running right up there. So that's interesting because. With all of this falling in between these, they're all kind of tied in or kind of relevant in this area of the world for him. Yeah. So he doesn't have any lines directly going through New York, but there's still a lot of stories with all of these parent uh, these lines here. Yeah, for sure. Okay, that makes sense. And then one last one was um, Walt Disney. Oh, yeah, Walt Disney. What this chart? What's the good about Walt Disney's chart? Yeah. Um... Well, he lived on a Pluto MC line for a long time. And I think of Pluto, one of the themes of Pluto being like myth or, you know, the darkness of fairy tales, the the darker lessons in mythology and fairy tales. And 
he lived, he lived on that Pluto line in uh, Pluto MC in Kansas City and Marceline, Missouri, um, which is actually what uh, Main Street USA and Disneyland is based off of his, his childhood there in Marceline. But that Pluto MC, um, you know, he was a daydreamer. He was so fascinated by, you know, myth and fairy tales. And that was that Pluto, the transformation. It was a very hard place for him to live, a hard place in his life, his parents, he had Uranus on the IC, so there is some sort of, um, you know, rebellion within parents or the family or traditions or roots. There can be a restlessness or a, a need to break out of tradition um, being in the lower part of the chart. But then he moved to, you know, L.A., um, and he um, brought, you know, he started the Walt Disney, you know, with his brother, Roy, and that Mercury I see um, is there. And the I see is deal with the land and Mercury ideas and stories and, you know, messages coming out. And interesting thing about Anaheim, where he built Disneyland was he has a son, Pluto Perrin, going right through Anaheim which has to deal with like, you know, I think of creative expression or self-expression, how you're alchemizing or transforming the abuse of power or the abuse of corruption or myth and fairy tale into something, you know, creative or expressive. And so that power energy of, you know, leadership and confidence and empowerment, um, but also the breakdown of myth and story that's going through the Anaheim area. So that latitude, it's there. But then also the Mercury on the IC, there's a story with family, with the land. And he, you know, is famous for creating Disneyland. One of his um, legacies um, was, you know, creating something for families, um, that Mercury line, the ideas, uh, stories going right through that area. So I thought that was really cool. Yeah, that's brilliant. And and animators, I mean, having that as, as location and setting up, um, you know, Disney, which was primarily like an animation studio initially. And having that Mercury line right there, I think is is brilliant. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but then I'm noticing also the other major line, which is this Neptune MC line runs right through Florida. Um, because mm. that's really funny and it's making me laugh because I just watched like a documentary on YouTube about the creation of Disney World um in Florida and how they bought up the land there, but it was like a swamp and like um some of the things surrounding that and of course we've seen some of that recently with like like fights in florida over disneyland and, and some of the political stuff that's happening there but it's interesting that he, it's like he started disneyland in california but then tried to create a much bigger sort of like i he wanted to create like the ideal city of the future something like in disney world um here where his oh, neptune yeah. MC line oh, that's that and and neptune you know i think of neptune as like a dream or like this, you know, um, this vision of something, you know, dreamy or ethereal or something imaginative. And it's on the MC at the highest point of the chart. Um, so there's something big there about the public um, with that dream. That's so cool. I didn't even look at that. That's so wild. That's so cool. You picked up on that. Yeah, I'll have to um, find the documentary, but it was actually really good. It was really interesting um, just on the creation of Disney World. And you see the idealism like he really wanted to institute like this he had this vision for it and it's interesting in some ways how disney world ended up meeting that to some extent in some ways and being like the city of the future but then in other ways how some parts of the vision failed to materialize or were like too ambitious or too lofty um and where the reality didn't quite hit like the ideal oh yeah totally oh wow yeah absolutely Cool. That's really cool. I like that. That's a good example. Yeah. 
The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of Solar Fire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. All right, we're back from a break. So uh, where should we move into next now that we've covered most of the, the basics? Yeah, I think we should talk a bit about the angles, the four angles in um, astro astrocartography and astrology and what they represent and how by we know like if you go to a certain planet, you're activating that planetary archetype. But what happens versus an MC line versus a, an IC line or an ascendant versus a descendant line? How are they different and how can we use them effectively in our lives to activate certain themes? Okay, cool. Um, which angle should we start with? Let's start with the ascendant, um, the self. It's, um, you know, going to these lines are really about you expressing that planetary archetype. So you're exuding that energy of what that planet represents in your chart. Um, and so it's coming from you rather than to you, as opposed to the descendant, which is about coming to you, things coming to you from the external reality. Um, it's also about like, you know, receptivity, influence, influences from outside of you as well as relationships with people um, so we can kind of unconsciously bring about themes or there can be stories of projections from others or you projecting onto others the story the archetype that theme of that planet is in relation in uh in your day-to-day -day, uh, life with others so it kind of is a more external um version rather than an internal coming from the self um, and then we have the two other angles, which is the MC, the midheaven. So it's a place of visibility, career, um, being publicly known for social status career. It's the highest point in the chart. Uh, and then the IC is the most foundational, the roots, the tradition, and it has to do with family as well as the home. So like the literal home life, the personal life, the domestic life, what's happening in a private sense. We're activating one of those angles when we go to one of these angular lines on the map. Brilliant. Okay. So it's like, it's carrying forward all the basic meanings of the four angles and those four angular houses, um, but just concentrating it as a point of power, especially when certain planets are brought to those, um, the planets are going to manifest oftentimes in those areas of life that match those significations of the angles. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Okay, cool. Um, so that's good to know in terms of just the differentiation that we're looking for major lines, but sometimes depending on what the nature of the line is, like that, a, let's say a um, Saturn midheaven line is going to be different than like a Saturn descendant line where like Saturn midheaven could be a period that's um, a little bit more isolated, let's say for career or in which there's some challenges with career versus Saturn descendant could be a little bit more um, cooling effect of like relationships or something like that. Exactly. Yeah. Or the IC being like parents or the family life. Yeah. They're so uh, different. Um, it's kind of like the navigational coordinates or the orientation of your life. That's what kind of the angles are. And so, uh, yeah. Let's actually give some delineations of that, of like what Saturn would be like on the ascendant versus the midheaven versus the descendant versus the IC. Like Saturn 
I see like a funny thing could be like living in an old, like dilapidated house, like with like, yeah. a Sat Saturn IC line. Exactly. Or like home maintenance being a drag. Um, you know, there's a lot of commitment to a home project. Um, I've seen a lot of clients like the home literally sucks their money um, in terms of maintenance or renovations. Also, another thing I see a lot is um, taking care of parents in old age. Hmm. The like um, the obligation, the duty, the responsibility to taking care of the family, even though you might not want to, right? Like, or that Saturnian isolation with that experience. Um, that's another thing with Saturn I see. Okay. Um, what would a uh, Saturn ascendant be like? Saturn ascendant is, um, you know, the energy of you emanating Saturn themes. So I think of like thinking about a ticking clock or thinking about time. Um, there's also the sense, you know, physically it can be bones or issues with bones and teeth and the body and age. Um, so, and there's also that sense of you're embodying Saturn, you're seeing the world through a Saturn lens, which is, you know, time and responsibility. So it's like, you're embodying that you're seeing life through a filter, those sunglasses, um, the Saturnian energy is kind of coming through from what you're seeing. Yeah. Like a place where you're suddenly more aware of your age and you're aware of the process of aging, or even if you were like put in like a mentorship role over somebody else who's like younger and then your like age and experience and the wisdom that you've accumulated for that is somehow more prominent to you in that area of the world um that would be another good like saturn type manifestation yeah and i believe it was jim lewis that said something like um older people tend to do better on saturn lines because there's that kind of embracing of saturn or um you know stepping into maturity and fully you know, being able to embrace that. Whereas a young person in their early twenties or college, you know, might have a harder time, you know, on a Saturn line. Yeah, that makes sense. Um, Saturn MC, I talked about like a discovered like ancient astrology there and had a sort of isolated period, but um, so it can be a period where maybe there's some challenges in terms of one's career or public reputation or social standing, um, but also a period where you put in maybe hard work and make slow incremental progress in terms of your career as well. Oh, definitely. Yeah. And I see a lot of people, um, people tend to get stuck on Saturn lines for some reason. Like if you move there, it's, it can be hard to get off, but people who, you know, you know, starting a business on a Saturn MC line, like there's that longevity, that enduring work that, um, pays dividends years from now. Okay. Brilliant. And then finally Saturn descendant. Yeah. Saturn descendant can be, um, you know, a coldness from others, but also serious long-term partnerships. I see marriages can happen a lot on Saturn descendant, can be an older person, an uh, older people being around older um, people in the life, but also the energy of coldness or yeah, that mentorship authority energy coming from other people and your relationships and the influences that you're receiving in your life ha externally have that kind of Saturnian um, energy and in, in, uh, interactions with people. Okay. That makes sense. Um, this is actually fun and illustrative because this actually makes me want to go through like all of the planets and all of the angles, <laughs> but I, I know that would take us a long time if we, if we attempted to do that. Yeah. But there are some literal ones. Like, I mean, Uranus, I see, you know, I think of electricity outages or <laughs> issues with the home in the sense of things going erratically wrong or travel plans always changing when someone goes to a Uranus line or like Neptune lines. I see a lot of 
themes around like plumbing issues or water damage, or um, sometimes Neptune ascendant, for instance, can be an invisible illness or um, misdiagnosis with something that's kind of invisible on the body, on the self. It doesn't have to literally be that, but that is something that can come up. Um, yeah. And it's, it's so interesting how it can be that literal. Yeah, just like nebulousness surrounding whatever angle that Neptune is on. And then, you know, the ascendant, it could be the body, like it, MC, it could be the career, seventh descendant, it could be relationships, or IC, it could be like your living situation. Exactly. Okay, um, that's good. And then Uranus is like something unexpected, something eccentric, or or like that's not typical, like it, that goes against the norm in some way. Yeah. Rebellious, innovative, entrepreneurial. I see a lot for Uranus MC lines. I've heard stories from people where they move to a Uranus MC line and like a job falls into their lap and suddenly they have a career, a new career in their life that just comes out of nowhere. Or, you know, an entrepreneurial person or an innovator, someone in tech, you know, there can be that using Uranus in a, in a supportive way. Um, Uranus ascendant people tend to love. It's that liberation, that free spiritedness, the authenticity of self. Um, uh, but yeah, there is that kind of, it's hard to settle down on a Uranus line. Typically people don't usually live long-term on a Uranus line. Yeah. That can be kind of too, um, frenetic or have this too energetic quality where things don't, um, rest, but everything's constantly like moving and that can be a little bit hard. Yeah. Definitely. Yeah. Um, all right. Uh, I kind of want to keep going through more, but I know one of the things you brought up is like the condition of a planet in a chart. We've talked a little bit about like how sect is relevant. You've mm -hmm. also mentioned um, like debilitations or other types of ways that planets are situated in a chart. Yeah. One of the first things I look at is um, squares from outer planets, like tight squares, tight aspects, like an opposition or a square, like you know, Mars squaring Uranus or Venus squaring Saturn within one degree or, you know, uh, Pluto opposing Venus very tightly within a few degrees, one to two degrees. Um, because the thing about astrocartography is like when you go to a line, you're not just going to that planet. You're also going to the planet within your chart. So going to a moon line, if you have a Leo moon, you're not just going to a moon line. You're going to a Leo moon line. You're going to a Leo trine Mercury line, you know, like it's, it's your chart. It's, it's the map of your birth chart. And so Looking at aspects is really big, um, tight aspects to like, you know, night, Neptune, Uranus, Pluto, and then Saturn I'm looking at. Um, and then the other thing is fallen planets. Fallen planets can be challenging for people. Like for some reason, I find a lot of Libras don't tend to love their sun lines. Um, it's not a, a hard and fast rule, but it is something I take note of a lot. Um, fallen planets can be more of a place of integration, integration. And, um, you know, working with that energy and it can be a little bit more frustrating, but there is a potential to utilize that energy. Um, so looking at the essential dignity is important, um, the aspects. Um, and yeah, that, that those are the main things I'm looking at. And sect is a big one. Okay. So it's just the first thing you have to do is you need to delineate the birth chart itself and understand what the basic we've talked about like the natal promise um or another way of saying that is just the natal potential of certain placements because you need to understand that in detail first in order to understand what actually is going to be unlocked when you go to certain lines that accentuate certain planets in the chart 
and that you have to be a little bit careful because sometimes maybe there's certain lines that might sound good of like a benefic, but if that benefic's not well placed in your chart, it could be activating something that maybe there could be unexpected consequences from. Exactly, exactly. And I think that's one of the biggest misconceptions aside from, you know, having to be on a line. Um, but the other misconception is like a lot of people will think just go to a Venus line or a Jupiter line, but it really depends on that person's Venus and Jupiter specifically. And the story of that theme within the planet and how it involves other planets. Um, yeah. So that's really uh, important. Okay. Um, that's really good. And that kind of brings up, um, you did have a point that you wanted to make at some point about the simplification of the techniques because it's become so popular in recent years and maybe some things that are like misconceptions that people had or, or ideas that maybe not are not good that are in circulation. Yeah, absolutely. I think that's just because of TikTok. TikTok has made astrocartography super popular in okay. the last few years and um, Instagram. But um, yeah, like, you know, going to a moon line can feel very comfortable, very nourishing, very receptive, that homey feeling. But if you've got moon squaring Pluto within a degree, um, you know, can be more themes of Pluto coming into the story. Um, you know, I think of fear, paranoia, obsession, you know, stories when it's that story of Pluto square moon is going to be that theme when you go to a moon line. So that's a big thing I see a lot on social media is don't go to a Venus or Jupiter line until you've looked at your natal planet in your chart, um, the sign placement, the aspects, um, and then also be sure to look at the latitude crossings or the parents, because that can really make or break, uh, the energy of a place. And if you want to, if you want to be happy there, the quality of life, you know, one off Paran can really offset, even if you're on a supported Venus line, um, just moving 30 miles South can really drastically alleviate, um, you know, the difficulty of a hard parent, uh, latitude crossing. Okay. So that's one of the more it's like people might have a tendency at the beginning just to look at the basic thing, which is just the astrocartography lines. But if they're not paying attention to some of these other more complicated interactions, then sometimes they could end up with a combination that's a little bit um, not as ideal as they assumed. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the idea of when things become popular or trendy, they become simplified. When something, you know, is widespread and everyone's jumping on it. Oh, I want to go to my Venus line or, oh, I don't have anything there. That means there's no story there. There's so much more to it. And that's why, you know, reading literature on this, which the psychology of astrocartography is a great book. There's so many amazing books on astrocartography. Um, taking classes, you know, learning from people or just doing it in your own life, driving on a road trip for 30 minutes south, you know, going to a certain parent and really like experiencing this, that is the best way to like use this and like really learn it and integrate it um, in an accurate way. Yeah, that's such a, a crucial piece just in general, a good advice um, about learning astrology and practicing astrology in general is that empirical component of having sort of like provisional idea of what you think something should mean or how it should work out in your chart, but then actually going and doing it and and noting your experience and sometimes um, paying attention if your like actual lived experience of something is slightly different than what you expected, because then sometimes it can clue you into there's that there may be something happening that you weren't paying attention to if you're just looking at it from a different perspective. Yeah. And there's also that idea of like, 
being able to observe your map and your story and your lines from that neutral perspective of being open to receiving what that could be. For example, if you know I'm here on a Jupiter line, I planned my trip with timing to make sure I went to this line at the right time. But, you know, I'm also receptive to it could be very different from what I'm expecting. And so having that kind of unbiased, open-minded perspective to I don't know what this could be. I'm anticipating it could be something to do with this, but I'm open and I'm going to observe it and document and record the data. Um, that is such an incredible way to like learn this um, effectively. Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Um, and that kind of brings up that it's like there's other things that can be happening as well in addition to or the sort of layer on top of the astrocartography lines and the relocational chart. And that has to do with things like timing that's also relevant anytime you're trying to do something or go somewhere, right? Absolutely. That's when we're adding the second layer. And it gets really magical when you combine the right place at the right time. That's when magic like happens. And it's so cool to see how this you know, works time and time again. Um, when you time things precisely, it can be magical. Um, and so this is where we bring in cyclocartography, which is an added layer to astrocartography. It was trademarked, created by Jim Lewis, but it's using transits of the inner planets and secondary progressions of the outer planets and seeing the theme and the story that's activated in a certain part of the world based on where you have those lines. Okay. Um, you mentioned the trademark thing, and I forgot that. That was actually something to mention at some point, which is that Jim Lewis originally um, trademarked astrocartography. Um, it's become sort of a com such a common technique that I'm not sure how much that holds up anymore. And there's been like discussions about like how <laughs> if you can really trademark an astrological technique, but that's why I sometimes know. you see people still write it as it like astro asterisk carto asterisk graphy or whatever is that that specific writing of it is part of what he trademarked essentially right yeah i know i'm still confused about that whole thing but he was a like a stickler for you know the name astrocartography and him being this licensed person of that and so um yeah i mean i feel like everyone says it at this point but it's like if you're maybe if you're selling something with the word astrocartography that might be you know a fine line i don't know but yeah he did trademark it and i remember on your episode your great episode that you had on the podcast recently with uh michael earwine he who, who was yeah. the yeah he was the creator of local space he i remember he mentioned also uh because he knew jim lewis he mentioned that he was like really adamant about like don't use the term don't be doing this work so yeah i'm always kind of cautious because of the trust that Jim Lewis has and trademarking that. Yeah, I just from an aesthetic standpoint, I refuse to write astrocartography with the asterisks, asterisks and that's definitely where I draw the line is I just write yeah. it as astrocartography at this point, but yeah. to, you know, to each everyone to each their own. Um yeah. but that is an interesting bit of the the history that maybe I'll get into at some point talking to other people at some point because that's an interesting yeah. thing about the 20th century is there's such a explosion of innovation and in techniques and like different ways of looking at things and different stuff like that. And it's interesting to think about that idea of sometimes like developing a new technique. And if it's something that can be proprietary or if it's something that if it just like exists in nature, if it, if it just sort of exists out there, but yeah, yeah. maybe I'll do, maybe we'll do an episode on that at some point. Yeah. Yeah, totally. Yeah. All right. Um, so timing, 
What else do we need to know about timing when it comes to astrocartography? Can there be, you mentioned being in like the right place at the right time and that being the most ideal situation. Like I'm assuming, for example, hypothetically, like going somewhere to your Jupiter line and you're having like Jupiter mm -hmm. transit through your seventh house at the exact exactly. same time. Exactly. Exactly. Okay. And that's how I timed my trip was going to Jupiter line when Jupiter is like crossing it. Um, but there is, so in cyclocartography, um, there, you can pull up, you know, solar maps, um, solar fire. Um, and it's, I'm sure there's other ways you could use this, but the maps feature is really cool because there's an animate chart feature, which allows you to pull up the secondary, the cyclocartography specifically. You can also pull up transits or secondary progressions or both, which is what cyclocartography is. And you can animate the chart and press play and it will show you the lines moving across the map. And when you see a planetary line, uh, or transit or progression hit your natal line. It's kind of like that line, it's always there and it never changes. It's always permanently there as well as the parents. But when that crop, that uh, transit or progression hits it, it's like it awakens. There's an activation. There's a, a hitting of a story or a theme that has to deal with that particular line. And so, you know, an easy, obvious, you know, thing that you could use is looking at Jupiter transits. Jupiter transits are very short um, when they go over an area about, you know, four to six months, they'll cross a specific area on the map. And so going to a Jupiter line, when you've got a Jupiter transit, even better if you've got a Jupiter return, that literal line is going back to that transit is going exactly the same angle, the same planet is hitting that exact line. That can be a really special window of opportunity that you can kind of utilize. Um, and so, yeah, it's a fun way to use this to plan your life and travels. Nice. Okay. Um, so then I guess that means by extension and conversely that there can be times where you go to the right place, but you don't go there at the right time. You go at a bad time. Like, let's say you go to your Jupiter line, but you have transiting Mars, like conjoining your descent or going retrograde on your descendant at the same time. That could be like a con, a contrary or conflicting sort of, uh, indication. Oh yeah. Like one thing I, I tend to see, or I've seen several times with people is they'll have like a, a nice Mercury descendant line going through an area and they'll have a family trip or a family vacation going there. But then, you know, they didn't see that they had a Mars transit on the descendant crossing that exact point. They got in fights with their family. They got in arguments. There was tension within the family. So it wasn't a great trip. Or um, for example, um, someone recently, they had a great Venus line in, in the Canary Islands, but they had a Saturn ascendant transit going exactly where the Canary Islands were during those weeks that they were there. They were miserable. They were having a really, they described it as like isolating, depressing, cold, lonely. Um, that was like their story of how they described it. And it was because Saturn ascendant transit was literally going right over where they were. Okay. So that's crucial. So it's really important to have the transits in alignment with things. And even though the premise of like some of this looks relatively simple at first in terms of just looking at the line, the planetary lines based on your astrocartography and your relocated chart, there's actually a lot of different layers here. And it's actually much more complex than people might realize at first. Yeah. Yeah, for sure. And that's kind of going more in intermediate or advanced, but um, yeah, is looking at the timing and you could also do this with your transits. So like, even if you didn't have a professional map software, you could pull up your 
transits for that relocated chart. So let's say you're going to Italy for your trip and you want to pull up the relocated chart for Italy, you would then add the transits or the secondary progressions um, and you could see what's happening uh, on those angles. So you can see a different way of viewing it as well as the maps. Okay, brilliant. Um, so you brought up uh, like a client story that you're just talking about. And that brings me to wanting to ask more about like working with clients and how do you work with clients when it comes to this technique and it comes to astrocartography in general? One of the most important things is a lot of people want to know, like, where should I move? Where should I live in the world? Um, and having intention is very important because there are so many things we could activate in our lives, but having some sort of idea of, I really want my career to go well, I want to be seen, or I want to build a family life, I want to meet the love of my life, I want to meet a partner, you know, having some sort of direction of what it is that you want, that's, you know, you want to activate in your life, that you want to be an important thing to come in your life, literally. Um, and how do you want to feel? You know, do you want to go to a place where it's more ambitious and productive and energizing? You know, we might look at Mars lines. We might look at sun lines. If you want a more nourishing, you know, peaceful life, we might look to moon lines. Um, so having an idea right off the bat of going to an astrocartographer of asking like, you know, what is my intention with what I want to bring into my life? Um, because then we can relocate the chart and see, okay, let's read the story of this location. Your birth chart stays the same, but this location is going to add more layers to it. So having some sort of intention is really important. Okay. So I guess, and I guess that's a different, cause there's different scenarios of how clients come to you, but that's like one scenario. If somebody has a lot of um, leeway or a lot of freedom to move around or go to different parts of the world. And they're just like, they have like a, a blank slate that they're working with in terms of moving to different places and having that sort of flexibility versus if somebody comes to you and they say, I'm thinking about moving to this new city that's really far away you know, what kind of experiences might I be looking at if I moved to that part of the world? Yeah, exactly. And um, yeah, it's really cool with people who are kind of traveling endlessly, uh, like myself, you know, it's cool to like, is really look at the transits and really prioritize the transits and the progressions, because, um, then you can follow that. You can follow that timing. For example, someone who, you know, has a Pluto IC transit going right over their home and they literally sold all their possessions and got an RV and is now, you know, got, you know, divorced, like moving on, you know, starting a, a new chapter of their life, they might want to know where should I drive my RV? Which stops should I hit first? Should I go to the East Coast first? Should I do the Midwest first? Right. So there's a way where it's like if you're traveling endlessly, there's a cool way to kind of time this so that the direction you're going in is going to be just a more supportive uh, energy for you. Right. Okay. That makes sense. Um, what are some other considerations either for you as a practicing astrologer when you're when you're meeting with clients and using astrocartography or or from a client perspective, like clients approaching and looking to get work done for astrocartography, what are some things to know coming from either side? Um, I would say, well, you know, the, the intention of like what the person wants is a big thing um, or what they're, they're looking for. Um, for example, if someone wanted to be an artist or tap into creative creativity or writing, you know, going into that reading and then looking for those spots where that theme is activated. Um, but also the other thing is like, you know, looking at your chart and your transits and seeing, you know, what's, I, I use annual perfections, um, you know, what's the Lord of the year, things like that. 
Um, so I, I do look at that as well. Um, and so having, you know, even going to, you know, someone having, you know, going to someone kind of knowing your transits or knowing, oh, like this is a big theme in my life. Um, that's a cool way to use this. Okay. Yeah. So having some level of like self-knowledge or perhaps the more knowledge one has of their own chart, the better in terms of knowing what different potentials are going to be unlocked in different places or which ones are being un unlocked for you right now in terms of the timing, like transits or time lord techniques? Yeah. Yeah, totally. Okay. That's good to know. Um, all right. And I know that, um, so we've talked about using astro.com and how that's like a free re resource um, using their astro click travel um, thing, which is basically you just go to astro.com, you go to charts and calculations, and then you actually, that's not even the right page, but basically you just look for the astro click travel, I think is what they still call it, right? Yeah. Astro click travel. Yeah. And that's a great free option to just get started. Um, you know, pulling up the parents, pulling up, you know, looking at the lines, you can, um, you can even, you can look up local space on astro.com too, which is very cool as well for locational astrology. Um, but if you wanted to go a bit further, um, I recommend, you know, using a professional astrocartography software where there's a lot more details, um, that you can get that you can't get on astro.com. Um, like one of the big things is, you know, with a professional software, they'll often have a measurement tool, like, so, uh, Astro Gold does have a measurement tool for their um, map software. They don't have parents though, which is for me personally, if you don't have parents, like I can't look at the maps. So I don't like Astro Gold software for specifically maps, but they do have a, a measurement tool, which is really great for seeing the mileage, the distance away from planetary lines. Solar Fire is my favorite for maps specifically. I ended up getting a new computer just so I can use Windows to use Solar Fire because Solar Fire is like, it's that good and it's that worth it. If you want to plan your travels or plan your life with your map, you know, it's such a great um, um, software for that. And so with that, it's like you can measure it. They have a drag, you know, a measurement tool. Um, you can see the parents, local space. There you can see aspects. There's so much to it that you can add like all these layers as well as timing. Brilliant. Okay. Yeah. So, and solar fire is what I use as well. Um, let me see. I'm just pulling up. I just remember we had some slides, but it just shows a little image in one of the slides you made of what the parents look like. And this is what they look like in, oh, um, yes. in solar fire, right? Yes, that's great. Oh, cool. Yeah. There are the parents. There they are. You could see them in the yellow latitude lines. And it's, you could see, for example, Venus and moon parents. So that Venus and that moon, they were crossing at some point in the world and they created that latitude line. Um, and so regardless, they have a really strong effect. They can be really, really important. Um, and so, yeah, it, it creates um, that uh, energetic crossing of, of that, of that uh, influence. Yeah. Got it. Okay. So that's really cool. And that's really useful. So that's, it's like everybody, I think, starts using free websites like astro.com or astroseek, but everybody eventually like has to invest in software, especially if you're sort of a, a serious student of astrology, or if you're going to start consulting eventually, because um, yeah. it's also useful to be able to build up like a large database of obviously your client charts, but also of case studies and different research and things like that. And that can be really useful for that as well. Totally. Yeah. It's really great. Yeah. Cool. All right. Um, I'm trying to look and see if there were other major topics that we meant to touch on in this episode that are sort of like core things when it comes to this topic of especially astrocartography. 
you mentioned um, there's entirely other areas as well that are kind of tied in with this, like local space is another um, sort of development in terms of locational astrology and just applying astrology to to one's one's space and one's like location. Yeah, and that's really fascinating because um, you can trace those local space lines from your place of birth, and there's that story of that planetary line running through, you know, your country or wherever you are. I've seen like miraculous case studies of how these specific lines can manifest in someone's life, and so even just going in the direction of a local space line, there's no mileage with local space. So just moving in the direction of a line can activate a lot of themes, and that brings up you know remote activation, which is such an important part of astrocartography. This idea that you know there is an energy. It's that idea of you know uh, we exist everywhere all at once, like in the world. Like there's aspects of us in different parts of the world, and so. Using remote activation, which Jim Lewis um, is another term he made, which was about, you know, you can utilize the energy where you are, you don't have to move, but you can utilize that energy of that particular planetary archetype, that line, by connecting with that energy in your home, you know, listening to music from a certain country where you have a beautiful Venus line, or maybe you meet your best friend on a really cool Jupiter descendant line and they live in a certain part of the world, or even just like as, you know, getting herbs, medicinal herbs from a specific part of the world in Brazil, and you've got a really cool, you know, um, healing Chiron line going through or Neptune or something magical going through um, Brazil, you might want to utilize the energy there without even going there, you could bring that energy into your life, whether it's music, culture, um, you know, feng shui, that's a whole other aspect of astrocartography is using feng shui to like design your home using local space and things like that. So there's so many ways you can utilize this at home without traveling. Obviously traveling and moving is like the best way to really, really get this full effect in your own life and see it come out in a very active way. But just by being at home, by connecting with these energies, if you've got a local space line, a Uranus local space line going through Denver, Colorado, and you're connecting with an astrology podcast, or you're going to an astrology conference that's in Denver, or you know, there's a sense of Uranus themes going through that particular area, you could be at home listening to a podcast about astrology with a Uranus local space line going through that area where that podcast is being hosted or that YouTube channel is being filmed in that part of the world where you've got that amazing line. So it's like you can utilize this energy at home. And I'm just, that is like one of the coolest ways to use this. Yeah, that's really cool. And it just brings back that concept of, like I said earlier, of how astrologers are usually dealing with time but this is really bringing that element of space and it's showing that there can be connection between space in ways that are not initially that you shouldn't think that there's a connection, but through looking at this through the lens of astrology, you can see that it is sometimes connected in this very mysterious and interesting way. Yeah. Yeah. And I think Jim Lewis, he quotes Carl Jung a lot in his uh, Psychology of Astrocartography book. Um, one of the quotes that Carl Jung was says, um, every part of the psyche um, seeks outer manifestation. And so, um, you know, bringing that home, there's ways to, you know, take ownership of your life and your day-to-day -day life by infusing rituals and habits and different ways that you can utilize these archetypes, these planetary archetypes in your life. And um, that self-actualization, that individuation of self can be explored through bringing that uh, planet in your life. Yeah, that makes sense. That was actually a really interesting thing. Rereading Jim Lewis's book recently in preparation for this was how um, much he situated it in the context of like late 20th century 
psychological, especially Jungian astrology, and that most of his conceptualization of what the lines were doing was about activating parts of the person's psyche and sometimes that being like latent or hidden parts of the psyche being brought to the forefront and different things like that um but it's interesting you know because that was what 30 something years ago when astrology was largely being seen through a purely psychological context but more recently with the revival of ancient astrologies there's been more discussion about you know sometimes there can be very concrete external manifestations of certain placements in the chart that manifest in like events or people or things like that and it seems like that's another piece here which is like the lines while there's certainly a psychological component it's like sometimes you just you go to a mars line and you you encounter some sort of mars type event or externalization of that that's not just purely psychological or, or a projection per se but sometimes it's just like that's where you experience that event or that time period in your life in some some external way. Yeah, totally. Oh, that's so cool. Yeah. Um, so I was just it was just something I was thinking about in terms of that. And sometimes um the literal external manifestations of things versus the internal ones. And sometimes it's a little hard to know the difference between the two or or which it's gonna be, mm. but the archetype always manifests one way or another in one of those realms. Oh, yeah. And they can manifest in a literal, physical, and external way, but also internally. I mean, like just in my own life, you know, going to a sunline and like the theme of solar things being brought into my awareness, nothing literally happened with sun themes, but I experienced realization of self about my goals and aspirations on a sun local space line, for instance. So, mm -hmm. um, and it could be, you know, something that's happening within that's emerging from within. And he also talks a lot about shadowed planets in his book about how shadowed planets can be kind of almost like the repression or the denial of self or the denial of that particular archetype and that planet in your chart. And so going to a, you know, a hard line even if, you know, there can be a sense of repressing or hiding from, you know, what that represents in the chart. And so there's a whole section on shadowed uh, planets he talks about in his book, which is really interesting too. Yeah. I think you had a quote here where, here it is, mm. uh, where it says astrocartography shows us how certain places symbolize the accepted, suppressed, or protected parts of the self. And that's yeah. from the Jim Lewis book. Mm hmm. Yeah, it's very psychological, like, um, you know, the book and what he, you know, you can find clips and stuff of what he said. It's very the psychological um, approach to astrocartography is really big. Okay, interesting. Um, yeah, well, and that was the title of the book was the psychology of astrocartography, which is kind of interesting. Um, in the mm -hmm. foreword, I forgot to mention that Erin Sullivan wrote that part of the genesis of the book was that she gave at the 1986 United Astrology Conference, she said that she gave Jim Lewis for his birthday um, a, a like a fancy edition of his little printed booklet that used to come with astrocartography charts. And it was like a special, like fancy version of that, that she got him as a gift. And that sort of set the ball rolling eventually to publish the larger book that eventually came out um, shortly after he passed away. But I thought that was notable because I actually just got um, some archival footage of the very first United uh, United Astrology Conference from 1986. And Jim Lewis actually is in it at one point. So I'll be releasing that sometime this month. So people can check that out to get a little like glimpse of him as the founder of this technique at some point. Yeah. Oh, that's neat. Nice. Yeah. All right. 
Um, are there any other major topics that we haven't covered or things that we meant to talk about that we we haven't yet at this point in terms of this sort of broad introduction to astrocartography? Yeah. Um, I guess the the big thing is, you know, this is a magical tool that really can change people's lives. Um, it's it's amazing how a move can can really um, affect people's quality of life. And I think that's the big thing, you know, is it affects people's quality of life, like our emotions, like how we're like what we're feeling in a place when we're close to that particular planet, especially when we're like 100 miles off, 150 miles off. Um, and how like this is such a valuable tool. And I think something like we should all like use just in our daily life, um, because um, I think one of the, the really interesting things is, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, you should go to Cinque Terre. It's so magical. You'll love it. And then someone will go to Cinque Terre and they'll hate it. And it's like, well, let's look at your astrocartography. Right. And so I think it's such a I I think personally, it's such a, a tool that like we should use in our daily life or planning our trips, you know, all of those things and just having it for ourselves. So like astro.com using astro.com to plan our travels, because it's like amazing how it, it will save you time. It will save you money and it will save you just, you know, being able to plan things is really, really cool. That's my planner coming out, but yeah. <laughs> yeah, for sure. And is there any, cause you know, obviously both of us ex have experienced very personally and directly like the power of the technique to, describe thing, themes that we encounter in different parts of the world and, and in specific cities. Is there, though, sort of like a, a way that you sometimes have to balance it in terms of managing expectations, in terms of like not being able to like erase a person's birth chart or completely override some of those other factors that are not completely like in a person's control? Yeah, well, that's that's that nice balance of like living intuitively and just like listening, you know, to your inner voice and what you feel called to venture toward. Um, is that what you mean? Like kind of like the striking the balance between. Um, I guess I was more just thinking of like, on the one hand, it can be like very powerful and, and compelling and useful tool to integrate. But then at the same time, um, maybe you can't change everything about your birth chart or maybe like. Um, I'm just thinking of the managing of expectations. Like if a client says, you know, comes to you and tells you like, tell me the best place in the world that will change my life and make me like a millionaire and make me mm. successful in career and in relationships and everything else. Like there's still a level of management where you can't like, it's not a magic wand that you can wave that will make everything perfect. I don't think necessarily. Oh no. Right? Yeah. And that's, that's a big thing to point out is like, people often will ask like, what's my perfect place? Where is everything going to go well? And it's, right. it's not, not everything's going to go well. There's always a part of the chart that's like, you know, there's always something that's going off. No, no place is perfect. There's pros and cons to every place. And so, yeah, that's, that's always going to be a thing. And I think a lot of people want to find the perfect place, but there is no perfect place. <laughs> Right, because it shifts the chart, turns the chart, and it brings certain planets to greater prominence, which can sometimes indicate things going better in some area of the life. But then naturally, the other part of the equation is it's, it's going to move the difficult parts of the chart to a different place as well. And you've still exactly. got to experience those. It's part of a package that comes with it. Exactly. Yeah. And that's the amor fati, you know, <laughs> uh, accept your fate or what that, you know, phrase means. Right, for sure. 
Okay, cool. All right. Well, I think this is a really amazing um, introduction to this technique. It got me really ex excited about astrocartography and looking at different examples and things like that, because there's so many different levels that you can go into in terms of the examples and in terms of people really meeting their, their fate or their destiny sometimes in different parts of the world and having that become more clear or having that really open up or unlocked. I think that's the other part of the technique that's actually the most compelling and persuasive to me is, is just that idea of how fate gets woven into it, not just as a component of time, but a com component of place. And that sometimes you have to go to certain places in order to truly fulfill your destiny. Um, and that's maybe ultimately the most mysterious but interesting part of the technique that it really gets into at the end of the day. Oh yeah. And I'm a big believer that where you are, you're meant to be there. So that's the faded part of it is like, you're going to go where you're supposed to go at the time you're supposed to go. And like, there's no worrying about it at all. Like you're exactly where you're supposed to be. Right. For sure. All right. I like that. That might be a good note to end on. So um, tell me about your work. Tell me about your YouTube channel and other things. You also teach classes and do consultations related to this, right? Yeah, this is, I eat, breathe, and sleep this. Um, it's my biggest passion. I'm currently traveling the world. I'm writing a book about these experiences right now. And um, you can find me on my website, helenawoods.com. I have readings, courses, beginner's course, a more seven-week in-depth program. And then I'm also on YouTube vlogging my journey in real time as I'm traveling to these places, documenting it online uh, on my YouTube channel, Astrocartography with Helena. And I also am on Instagram at Ms. Helena Woods. Brilliant. Yeah. Well, everybody should check out your YouTube channel for sure, um, which is youtube.com slash Miss Helena Woods. And I'll put a link to your website below this. But I like how in the YouTube channel, it's like a blend between um, an astrology channel and like an astrocartography channel, but also like it's also a travel vlog and you're like traveling around to different places and doing like amazing cinematography and stuff with the, the video shots. So it's a really cool and unique sort of blending of those two things, which I really love. Yeah. And I also have a main channel and like, I like make the artistic projects of these places. And that, that was all activated on the Venus IC line, which is so cool. Um, but yeah, like bringing in real time, you know, the real experiences and seeing it. Um, I think that's such a, you know, the documentation I think is so cool. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I love just as a final note in passing, just that you have Scorpio rising, you have like cancer on your nine pole sign house. And like the ruler of the ninth house is the moon, which is that Leo moon that's like conjunct the degree of the midheaven in your 10th house. And you're literally doing ninth house stuff, like in the context of your career. And I can't think I of know. a more brilliant kind of like amazing manifestation of that placement. And it was all timed is like, that wasn't my life for a long time. And then it was like, suddenly everything activated. And it was like, that's like my everything I'm going toward. And I'm going through my Saturn return at the moment in my fifth house. And it's like projects because yeah, it's projects. Um, And I'm like writing this book. Like that's what my Saturn returns. Well, at least my intention for it is I'm going to write this book and just this massive project. Right. Well, the other thing about this and why this will be a good Saturn return story at the end of this is that Saturn is like ruling your fourth house of your home and living situation. And it's also ruling your third house of communication. So yep. those like themes of fourth and third house, you're combining them perfectly um, during your Saturn return. And, and that's yeah. just really smart, really cool. And what's insane is like, I didn't plan this at all. Like it just came to me in meditation. You need mm -hmm. to write a book about this and go travel. And I'm like, apart from my husband, which is so hard because like, you know, I, I, but I, it's like a calling. I have to do this, you know? 
And it just, it right. feels like lightning. It feels really magical. Amazing. Well, I love the work you're doing. Thanks for doing it. And thanks for sharing it with us. I look forward to seeing the book and um, yeah, we'll have to do this again sometime. Cause I know there's, there's like tons of other example charts that we could have explored. Um, so maybe we'll do a follow-up at some point once the book comes out. Yeah. And what an honor to be able to speak to you. I've been a long time, long time fan, like, like truly, like this is such an honor to be able to have a conversation with you. Cool. Well, yeah, I, I really enjoyed it. So thanks a lot for joining me today. Yeah, thanks. All right. Thanks everyone for watching or listening to this episode of the Astrology Podcast, and I'll see you again next time. Special thanks to all the patrons that helped to support the production of this episode of the podcast through our page on patreon.com. In particular, shout out to the patrons on our producers tier, including patrons Christy Moe, Ariana Amour, Mandy Ray, Angelique Nambo, Issa Sabah, Jake Otero, Jeannie Marie Kaplan, and Melissa Delano. If you appreciate the work I'm doing here on the podcast and you'd like to find a way to support it, then consider becoming a patron through my page on patreon.com. In exchange, you'll get access to some great subscriber benefits, including early access to new episodes, the ability to attend the live recording of the forecast each month, our monthly Auspicious Elections podcast, which is only available to patrons, a whole exclusive podcast series called the Casual Astrology Podcast that's for patrons, or you can even get your name listed in the credits. You can find out more information at patreon.com slash astrologypodcast. If you're looking for a reliable astrologer to get an astrological consultation with, then we have a new list of astrologers on the podcast website that we recommend for readings. Most of the astrologers specialize in birth chart readings, although some also offer synastry, rectification, electional astrology, horary questions, and more. Find out more information at theastrologypodcast.com slash consultations. The astrology software that we use and recommend here on the podcast is called Solar Fire for Windows, which is available for the PC at alabe.com. Use the promo code AP15 to get a 15% discount. For Mac users, we recommend a software program called Astro Gold for Mac OS, which is from the creators of SolarFire for PC, and it includes both modern and traditional techniques. You can find out more information at astrogold.io, and you can use the promo code ASTROPODCAST15 to get a 15% discount. If you'd like to learn more about my approach to astrology, then I'd recommend checking out my book titled Hellenistic Astrology, The Study of Fate and Fortune where I go over the history, philosophy, and techniques of ancient astrology, taking people from beginner up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. You can get a print copy of the book through Amazon or other online retailers, or there's an ebook version available through Google Books. If you're really looking to expand your studies of astrology, then I would recommend my Hellenistic Astrology course, which is an online course on ancient astrology where I take people through basic concepts up through intermediate and advanced techniques for reading birth charts. There's over 100 hours of video lectures as well as guided readings of ancient texts, and by the time you finish the course, you will have a strong foundation in how to read birth charts as well as make predictions. You can find out more information at courses.theastrologyschool.com. And finally, thanks to our sponsors, including The Mountain Astrologer magazine, which is a quarterly astrology magazine, which you can read in print or online at mountainastrologer.com. And the Northwest Astrological Conference, which is happening both in person and online May 23rd through the 27th, 2024. You can find out more information at norwac.net.